we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to Soma Northwest. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, we are finishing up our look in the book of John. We've been looking at John chapters 13 through 17 over the summer months. Um, Really the last words of Jesus as he was on his way to the cross. And we have seen that the backdrop of these words, as John told us at the beginning of chapter 13, was Jesus's love for his disciples. Jesus's love, his deep love, his deep devotion, his deep commitment to these men that he had spent those past three years with, living, walking up and down the roads of Palestine, ministering to people, healing the sick, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And now as he is faced with his betrayal, his arrest, the suffering, the shame, the mocking, ultimately his death as a criminal on the cross, John, writing years after this, looks back and says, Jesus loved us. And that's what he was thinking of. He was thinking of us. And so as we finish this series up, we're going to go back to chapter 13. We're going to go back to the start of that dinner in that room that night after Jesus had, had gotten up and, and wrapped a towel around his waist, filled a basin with water, and washed his disciples' feet after Judas had left out into the night, out into the darkness to solidify his betrayal. We're going to read these words at the end of John chapter 13, um, starting in verse 31. And if you're using the Bibles around you, you can find that on page 525. We read Jesus saying, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while while I, while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. These are the words of the Lord. Last week, uh, we looked at the end of John chapter 17. Jesus' prayer in the garden right before his arrest. And again, we see that at that moment when the weight of the world was on Jesus' shoulders, the, the imminent suffer, his imminent suffering and death, that he was praying for us. And he prayed specifically that we would be one, that we would be united 
as he and his father were one. He prayed for our unity. And it would not be a unity that was something that we had to conjure up, something that we had to create on our own, but that that unity was rooted in the relationship between himself and his father. We are one. That's what we need to know this morning. And we say this at Soma Northwest over and over and over again because it's something that we cannot say enough. We are one. We need to know that. We need to believe that we are one family here, that we, are, we share in one purpose as children of God. And what we talked about last week is that that unity and that oneness, it doesn't erase our differences. That unity and oneness doesn't ask us to delete our stories. We are all here with different stories. We all come from different backgrounds and family situations and different parts of of this city and this country that we've lived in and grown up in and all of the things that that are thrown into that and our experiences. We are one, yet we are different. We are different people. We bring different things into this relationship and this body, this community of faith. But Jesus says, I want them to be unified. He prays that you and I would be unified. Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit. So Jesus tells us that we are already one, that we are already one because he and his father are one. Yet Paul also encourages us and Jesus prays that we would experience that oneness, that we are one, but we also have a responsibility to experience that, to maintain that, to, to, to hold on to that unity that God has given us in Jesus Christ. And the question for us is how? How do we do this? How do we, as as a community of faith here, of people who understand, yes, we are all united in Christ, yet we are all different, what does it mean then for us to experience and to share in a real, tangible oneness? Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. Love. Love. Love one another. Now we know because we've been in the scriptures over the course of this year. We've been in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've, we've bounced around from Old Testament to New Testament. We've seen that God's expectation for his people to love each other is not a new thing, right? Like Jesus didn't show up here and say, hey, I'm going to tell you something that you have never heard before, and that is you got to love each other. They knew this. God's expectation was for them to love each other. But what Jesus is saying here is that there's a new standard. There's a new standard of love. And what is that standard? How were they supposed to love each other? In the same way that he had loved them. Jesus says, a new commandment, a new way of love I'm giving you, a new way of thinking about love I'm presenting to you. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. And we hear that, and I I don't know if they heard that at the time, but I hear that this morning, and I'm like, are you serious? 
There's no way. That's impossible. There is no way that I could love you in the divine way that God has loved me. There is no way that we could live under the pressure of that kind of an expectation. That would crush us. That would lead us over and over and over again to disappointment because we would find out that there is no way to perfectly love one another. But look at what Jesus gave them. He gave them an example right before this. What did he do? He got up, he wrapped a towel around him, he filled up a a basin of water, and he knelt down to serve them by washing their feet. And way back at the beginning of the summer, when we first looked at that passage, we talked about how radical that would have been for these men to experience. Jesus was their teacher. He was an honored person in their life. He was highly respected. And yet here in that moment, he had bent down to do something that was reserved for the lowliest in that culture. And you remember Peter said, no, no, no. You're not going to do this. I won't allow you to wash my feet. But what did Jesus say? What was the purpose of that? He was giving them a glimpse of what he was going to do. He said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. And he was getting their eyes off of the present and saying, in a little while, I am going to go to the cross. And my death on that cross is spiritually going to wash you clean. And you have to have a part in me. You have to share in me to experience that cleansing. And so what he was doing is he was saying, there is a transformation coming because of what I'm getting ready to do on the cross. And I'm giving you a glimpse of that right now by washing your feet. The love of God has made us one. Through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, we have been transformed and we have been united by his spirit. The love of God has made us one. And as John tells us in his letter, we love because God first loved us. So the love with which we love each other is only possible because we have received the love of God. We have been transformed by the love of God. And our love for each other, our love for each other is a tangible experience of that oneness. When we love each other, we experience the oneness that we have through Jesus' death and resurrection. We experience the oneness that we have because God has transformed us. And so when Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you, what he's saying is that you can love each other because I have loved you. You can know and experience real love Because God has transformed your heart. And God has given us the power to love each other. Now, it's not enough for us to just come in here and say, hey, let's love each other. Hey, man, I I love you. Or, 
girl, I love you. I, I just, I want to love every one of you. It's not enough to say that, right? We got to know what that means. How do we love? Because we all have different ideas of what love is. We all have different experiences of what love is. But if we are called to be unified and to be one, and if love is what allows us to maintain that oneness and that unity, then we better know what it really means to love, hadn't we? So this morning, I want to take some time and I want to flesh out some real practical ways that the scriptures tell us is how we can love each other. So would you turn to Romans chapter 12 with me? The book of Romans chapter 12. And listen to these words written by the Apostle Paul starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, I want to walk line by line, phrase by phrase down through this. Because Paul is writing to a group of Christians, a group of Christ followers living in the city of Rome. And this, this group, this church, if you will, was founded years before Paul wrote this by a group of Jews that had probably come to faith in Jesus in Jerusalem during that, that awesome period of time we read at the beginning of Acts that we call Pentecost. But by the time Paul is writing this, this church is probably super diverse, Rome was the city in the world that day. You had people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation coming into the city of Rome. And so you had a church filled with people from different cultural backgrounds, from different religious backgrounds, from different family backgrounds. They're all living together, worshiping together in relationship with one another. People that are coming from drastically different backgrounds, again, that are called to be one. And Paul writes to them and says, this is what it looks like. This is what it means to be a Christian together with each other. And he begins by saying, let love be genuine. Another way you could say that is, love is real. Love is the real deal. You don't define whether or not love is real or genuine or not. I don't define it. There is only one kind of love, and it is genuine. 
It is sincere. It is real or it's not love at all. And so Paul is saying love is real, colon, and now I'm going to tell you what that looks like. This is what it means to love. And the first thing he says is abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. I want to tell you this morning that love hates evil. That love is terrified by evil. And this is not some holier-than-thou attitude. It's not some kind of pious, you know, condescension that we have to the evil, awful, bad world out there. What Paul is talking about here is a visceral, personal, keeps you up at night, makes you sick at your stomach feeling towards sin and towards what is evil. Let me put it this way for you. Think about your family. If you have a brother or sister, mom or dad that you're close to, if you're a parent here this morning, think about your kids. Would you stand back and watch as someone in your family that you loved, that you cared about, that you were all in with, would you stand back and watch as they made destructive decisions after destructive decision, things because of their pride, because of their selfishness, because of the attitude of just, I want to do what makes me feel good and I don't care about anyone else, things that would hurt your family, things that would cause pain towards your family, things that would really mess up your family, would you stand back and just be satisfied to say, well, who am I to judge? It's not really that big of a deal. I don't want things to be awkward with that person. So I'm just not going to do anything. Would you do that? Would you do that and take that position and still maintain that you love that person and that you really care about your family? I would hope that none of us would do that. I would hope that with the people that we love the most, that we'd be willing to step in. Listen, we can't control people. We can't make people do the right thing. But I would hope that all of us would step into the people that we say we love the most and say, listen, stop. Hold up here. Do you see what you're doing? Do you see how it's hurting you? Do you see how it's hurting this family? It's easy for us to see this kind of statement of like, you know, let's, let's be, let's be uh, just terrified about what is evil and what is sinful. Let's hate those things as kind of being this idea of like, you know, we, we, we need to be separate. We need to withdraw. We need to put ourselves in a p- position where we never come face to face with these things. But that's not what Paul is talking about here because we all know that there is evil and that there is sin, and it's in this room. We are all sinners. We are all prone to selfishness and pride. We are all prone to making destructive, hurtful choices with each other. And let's be honest, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we do that. And what Paul is talking here is a hatred of evil that is the natural reaction to holding on to what is good. 
It's two sides of the same coin. Because when we love what is good, and when we desire what is good for each of us in this room, we understand that sin destroys lives in a very, very real way. Sin causes pain. Sin causes suffering. Sin causes grief. Sin separates us from each other. We hide in guilt and in shame, and we're afraid to come out and say, this is, this is who I am. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what I've done. It separates us from each other because it isolates us and makes us think, man, I'm the only one here. I'm the only one here that sins. I'm the only one here who is messed up. I'm the only one here who has this in my story. When we love each other, when we love this family that we have right here, we are willing to press into those things because we believe that God is good. But sin lies to us and tells us that there's something better. There's something better than what God has for us. And as a community, we have, if we love God, if we love each other, if we, if we cling to what is good and what God says is good, then we will be willing to step into each other's lives and remind each other of that very thing. We will have hard conversations with each other. We will pray actively with and for each other. We will encourage each other with the truths of God's goodness. I mean, let's be real. Confronting sin is not a walk in the park. It's not easy. None of us wants to do it. None of us wants to do that. It's gut-wrenching. It can be really messy at times. But the words that Paul uses here, abhor and hold fast, they are strong words. They are words that are packed with passion. And passion isn't just being excited for something. Passion means that you care about it so much that you're willing to suffer for it. That's what it means to be passionate. If we are passionate about what is good and we love each other, then we are willing to go places that are hard and that are uncomfortable because we care about each other. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Paul goes on to say, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I think some of us can have this unspoken standard on the relationships that we have with people. The relationships that we have here. And that standard is, I will only commit to you when I receive, fill in the blank, from you. I will only commit to you. I will only be all in with you when I receive what I need, what I'm looking for, what I expect from you. We hold each other at arm's length until those expectations are met. And whether we want to admit it or not, we can have a transactional relationship with each other. You give me what I need, then I'll give you what you need. 
You do this for me, and then I'll be more willing to do that for you. You treat me this way, and then I'll treat you this way. What Paul is talking about here, love each other with a brotherly affection, with a familial love. He's talking about devotion here, a commitment that says, this is my family. These are my people. These are the folks that I love and that I'm committed to and that that devotion replaces our expectations. That devotion replaces our expectations. And that we don't delete the expectations that we should have. I mean, that's, these are the expectations right here. This is what it means to love each other. And we should expect that this is what our community should look like. But the, you remember in James chapter 2, James talks about uh, you know, the, the, the sin of partiality. That when somebody comes in the door who's dressed nice, who has a lot of money, that we're quick to say, hey, hey, you know, you come over here and have the good seat. And we tell the, the poor person, the person that's not dressed nice, that has no power, influence, nothing to give us. We say, now you, you go sit over here. You go stand over here, out of the way. What Paul is talking about here is love that says you sit in the good seat. That's what we say to each other. We say to one another, you sit in the good seat. Even though that's the seat I want, even though that's the seat I think I deserve, you sit here. We serve each other. We bless each other. We put each other's needs and wants over our own. We lift each other's name up in conversation. We speak highly of each other. We give each other a call and we say, hey, I just want to know, you to know that I, I'm just really proud of you. I'm really proud of how you're handling this situation. I'm really proud of you about this commitment that you've made. We tell each other, you know, I was recently talking about you to someone else and just saying how proud I was of you and how encouraged you make me feel. We are willing to look at each other and say, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to put you in the good seat. I'm going to make sure your needs are met. And man, that's a paradigm shift, isn't it? Because so many of us live each and every day in our relationships with what we can get out of it. What do these people do for me? And when we don't get what we feel like we deserve or what we want, we move on to the next. Paul says, be devoted to one another. Love each other with a family love that says, hey, this is my family. Warts and all, and I'm committed to it. He goes on, Don't, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. In other words, love isn't loafing around and pretending that you care. Love isn't being lazy, being half-hearted, but then saying, hey, man, I really care. I really love this group of people. I really love you. But when it really matters, you don't show up. You're nowhere to be found. Listen, we have enough people in our culture 
that only show up when the lights turn on, when the camera rolls, when there's something that they can get out of it. Every single day, we have people who are in powerful positions, influential positions, that only care when it's beneficial for them to care. That's not how it should be in here. We should love and care for each other by giving the best of our time, the best of our energy, the best of our resources and our talents, not the leftovers, not the leftovers, not when it's only convenient, not when it's only when you get something out of it. And man, I I just look across this room and I see so many people that this is true of, that this is true of. Think of Pat and Jenna. I think of Connor and Caitlin and and the Figgins and Luke and, and just so many of you in this room who give your best to each other, who have been blessed, and you in turn bless other people, who say, yes, I'll be there when someone calls and says, hey, I need you to help me move a piece of furniture. I mean, I think of Pat, who's an ER doc, works crazy hours, and yet so many of us in this room have been blessed by him coming over and giving us his time and his talents with his carpentry skills. You know, building stuff for us, fixing stuff for us that would cost us tons of money to have to hire out. But he does it because he loves and he gives. Think of, I mean, again, I'm saying names, but so many people in this room have experienced that from from each other. I mean, this is a community that gives and that is not that's not lazy, that doesn't pretend to care and then and then um, fails to. excuse me, fails to show up. Loving each other means that we're all in, in the little things and in the big things, when everybody's watching and when nobody's watching, when somebody gives you a blessing in return and when you get nothing. That's what love does. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Last week, Tony and Nate talked about our vision. As a church, we want to be a long-standing, constant presence of God's people and God's kingdom living right here. A long-standing, constant presence of God's people and God's kingdom right here in this part of Indianapolis. God's, the gospel changing our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, do you think that's going to be easy? No, no. And we realize that, we experience that. This is not easy because we have an enemy that is actively fighting against us, that is actively putting up barriers against us, that wants to destroy us, that wants to keep us from seeing this happen. I mean, just think about the things that we're asking God for. We want to see people saved. We want to see people experience life with God under the rule of God. People that you live right next to. People that you work with. People that you're friends with. We want to see them know God through Jesus Christ. We want to give mercy to those who have nowhere else to turn. 
who have been discarded by society. We want to reach out and say, mercy, mercy and grace to them. We want to bring justice, God's righteousness, God's justice into dark places, into places where people have been oppressed and abused and taken advantage of. We talked about this last week. We want to see reconciliation between different races and cultures and generations, people who so often live segregated, who live apart from each other. We believe that the oneness that comes through the gospel can cut through all of those things. But that is not something that's going to happen next week or next month or even five years from now. These are things that we believe that God wants and desires from us and things that we want to be committed to for the long term. And we've said this here before, things that are easy are rarely good, but things that are good are rarely easy. And we just have to commit and say, if this is what we believe God has called us to as a community, we need to encourage one another and rally one another and hold each other to this vision. That's how we can love each other. We love each other by saying it's worth it. It's worth it. What you're doing in your neighborhood is worth it. That relationship that you're struggling with at work, but you're still walking with God, it's worth it. The schools that you send your kids to, it's worth it. All of these things, we encourage each other and say, we are in this together because we are one. And because we are one, God is using us and can use us in amazing ways in our community. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I want to brag on you all again, because there is not a month that goes by in this community where this isn't present. Meeting the needs of each other and showing hospitality. And so many of you have experienced this firsthand. Just just listen to these things. Invitations to dinner, to, to go out to eat with people. To, to, to be invited in someone's home. So I've talked to so many of you who said, man, within the first few weeks that I came here, somebody invited me over to their house. Somebody invited me out to dinner. And that's why I'm here. That's why I got connected. That's why I stayed. Think about parents, the times that people have come to you and said, hey, can we watch your kids so you guys can go out on a date? Or when you've been in a pinch or in a bind, And you've called somebody up, and it hasn't been convenient for them. But they've said, yes, bring your 12 kids over. I mean, you know, just let them come over and, you know, run our house for a couple of hours. Yeah, we got this. You know, think about the amount of meals that you all have cooked and bought for each other when someone has been sick, when someone's had a miscarriage, when someone's had a baby, when someone has been in the hospital. The amount of people that have just come and said, hey, can I bring you something? Can I just come and sit with you? Can I just listen to you? The fix-it projects at our homes that different men and women have jumped into. You're paying for groceries, paying for gas, paying for rent during seasons that have just been lean and, and hard. Cars that have been gifted. I mean, these are just, these are real things. These are tangible things. These are things that are just necessary for life. 
we've experienced that here. We have people that are constantly giving and pouring out and saying, I've been blessed. Let me bless you. Real needs that are being met. In a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate our one-year anniversary. And that Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to kick off something that we're going to do one Sunday a month. And we hope that this spreads out to the other Sundays. But we, it's so easy to love and to make space for people that we really know, right? People that we're comfortable with, people that we have a, a history with. But what we want to do is we want to designate one Sunday a month, the first Sunday of every month, and say, this is our Lunch Together Sunday. And what we're going to do is we are going to commit that Sunday to make sure that everybody who's here gets invited either to someone's home or gets invited out to eat at a restaurant. Now, we know things happen. Sometimes you're not able to do that. Sometimes people aren't able to say, yes, I can come. But we just want to make it a norm. Hospitality, making space for people to feel welcome. Making space for people to experience love. And man, there's nothing better than sitting down to a meal with each other. And saying, tell me what's going on. Tell me your story. Tell me what you're experiencing here. Tell me what you think about this. We get to know each other and we create that space. I want to close by reading a couple verses in John's first letter. 1 John chapter 4. Listen to these words. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Listen to this. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There is a way to see God when we love each other, when we are unified together. Cultural awareness, social initiatives, the good that we do in the community, all those things that we are pursuing and that we are invested in, the things that we want to continue to do as a church community. Jesus points to one thing, and he says, this is the thing that will show people that you know me. Love each other. People will see God. People will know Jesus when we love each other, when we care for each other, when we are one with each other. The question for us as a community is this. When people out there look at us, can they say, that's what God's like. Now I know that is what God is like. And that's what makes what we do each Sunday by taking a piece of the bread and dipping it in the juice such an important symbol. Because we have one loaf that we all take from. We have one cup that we all dip that bread into. And that is a symbol for us that what God has done for us individually, he's done for us as a community. 
that God has united us individually to himself, and through that, he's united us together. And so I want to ask you this morning, as you come and take this meal, this communion, this symbol, that you would do it in a way that recognizes this is not just about me and Jesus, but because of what Jesus has done for me, I've been brought into this community to love, to love one another, to love one another as God in Jesus has loved me. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, I invite you to come. If you're not, stay in your seat. There's no shame. There's no judgment. But this is a symbol of something that is true about those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus. And as you do that this morning, I want to ask, as you take that and go back to your seat, I want to ask you to just say a prayer. I want to ask you to pray for the oneness of this community here. I want to ask you to pray that God will protect us from the enemy who wants to destroy us and fracture us and separate us. I want you to pray that we would keep holding on to this truth that we are one. And that God is good. And would you pray that our love for each other would be an invitation to the community out there to come and to know Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. And Jesus, we thank you that in your hour, in your moment of greatest need that you were thinking of us. We come this morning as people who have a lot going on. Life is crazy. We're tired. We have a lot of responsibilities and a lot of things that are on our plate. But Lord, I just pray that we would continue to be a community that loves one another. Would the power of your spirit enable us to go the extra mile, to give up our rights, to lay down our expectations for the good of each other. And Lord, would you make us, through that love, a community that lasts, a community of faith that lasts for years and years to come. And we will give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.